great violinist, Niccolo Paganini, uh, willed his famous violin to Genoa, the city of his birth. He did so on one condition, however, that no one ever play the violin again. Now, this is an unfortunate condition because the unique characteristic of wood is so long as it is handled and used, it wears very little. But once it's discarded, decay begins to set in. Paganini's beautiful violin, this exquisite mellotone violin, now sits worm-eaten in a beautiful case, valueless except as a relic. This molded instrument is a constant reminder that a life pulled from service from others is often meaningless. Carl Jung, a famous psychiatrist and one time a student of Sigmund Freud, reported that between uh, almost a full third of his patients did not suffer from any definable uh, psychological neuroses as much as a life of meaninglessness and aimlessness. Viktor Frankl, another famous psychiatrist and author, also reported that between 20 to 50% of his patients sought help for meaninglessness above all else. Finally, a recent study from Harvard Medical School on the impact of retirement that has on individual health found that among the 5,422 individuals involved in the program, those who retired earlier than they should were 40% more likely to have a heart attack or stroke in the first year after retirement than those who kept working. History, psychology, and medicine show that human beings, apparently violins as well, were made to do something. We were made to have a purpose. We were made to be of service in some way. Now, admittedly, this flies in the face of contemporary popular culture where the thinking and the emphasis is on being served and receiving rather than serving and giving. And unfortunately, this kind of thinking makes its way inevitably into the church as well. In one of his books, John MacArthur recalls an interaction he had with a young woman who was struggling with a lack of spiritual growth in, his li- in her life. This is what she writes, or what he writes about the conversation. I'm frustrated that I don't experience much spiritual victory or sense of accomplishments. I struggle with the simplest forms of obedience, she said. I've had many great spiritual experiences. I've been at churches where the Spirit is working powerfully. I try to get all I can from God, but it doesn't seem to be working. MacArthur's analysis of the young woman, I think, was spot on. He writes, the key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. A productive and satisfying spiritual life, a productive and satisfying Christian life is not in getting more, but in giving all. Now this morning, as Jesus mentioned, this is our our second annual service Sunday, so I want to make a couple of things very clear on the outset of something. You signing up for something, some way to serve in our church, is not going to immediately cure any existential crisis of meaningless you might be experiencing right now in your life, okay? So, so just because you sign up to work with Hannah or any of the great people in our children's ministry, you're not all of a sudden going to be like, whoa, I feel great. I'm going to fire my therapist, right? I mean, that, that's not going to happen. You signing up to serve in some part of our church is not immediately going to turn your spiritual life around. A rubbing shoulders with Donald McAllister or Kevin and Lynn Kern on a weekly basis in our ushers ministry is surely going to give you a bigger or deeper love for God and a passion for His people, 
but you're not going to be Paul the Apostle overnight. I, I definitely am not trying to outsell anything to anyone today, right? So I'm going to be realistic here. But I can say this with absolute confidence. A lifestyle of regular sacrificial service is a key, is one key component in an overall set of spiritual disciplines that contributes to putting meaning into your life and giving you a deeper, richer experience and worship of God himself. That I can guarantee. And as important as that is, more importantly, if you are a Christian, serving one another is a form of worship in response to God's saving action on our behalf. Our text this morning, as Larry indicated, is Romans chapter 12. And in this, in this brief time we have, I want to talk about basically the argument that Paul is making is that if you are saved, then you are serving. Verses 1 and 2, Paul makes the appeal for service. In verses 3 to 8, God's gifting for your service. And then verses 9, really actually to the rest of the chapter, but we ended the reading at verse 11 because of this, this wonderful serve the Lord with fervor. But really, our perspective goes from verse 9 through 21. Let's look at it one at a time. Number one, Paul's appeal to the Christians for service. Now, Romans 12 is an amazing book. If you are new to the Christian faith or you need to get a better understanding of the faith, I can't imagine a better book to pour your time and energies into understanding. Uh, my family and I have been reading through the book of Romans at dinner time, little by little, as much as, as we can gather around the table, and it's been a great time together. In chapter 12, it's a pivot point in the book where Paul now is talking about all the, the past 11 chapters of, of what he's talking about has come to a point of decision and action, and he says, I appeal to you now on the mercies of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And the rest of Romans 12 has a full 36 present tense verbs in this chapter with 21 verses. In other words, there's more than one verb, one action verb for every verse in this chapter. Now, the reason this is significant is because his appeal in verse one and two is in what's called the aorist tense. Now, you're not a grammar nerd, don't worry about it. I don't want, I'm not gonna spend much time on this, but it's important to point out that in the aorist tense, that is a tense of past completed action, that, that this thing did in fact happen, that this happened for sure, Whereas present tense is it's an ongoing reality. This thing is ongoing in your life. By Paul, is, Paul is saying, by God's mercy, do this. Make sure you get this done. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. And, and keep in mind, what are the mercies of God that Paul is referring to? And certainly we know that from our study of 1 Timothy. But the mercies of God are everything that he talked about from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up through chapter 11. Based upon all you know of this amazing power of the gospel, God's reconciling sinful humanity to a holy, his holy self, God's plan of the ages that encompasses all of humanity and all of history, and it includes you in this, based on all this mercy make a decision to present yourself to him a living sacrifice. 
And the reason I think Paul sets it up this way grammatically is uh, a sacrifice is typically a one-time kind of thing, right? And in our culture, we don't see sacrifices very often, but in their culture, it was very common. And pretty much once you sacrifice something, it was done. It didn't get back off the altar and walk away. It was a settled action that had ongoing ramifications in the life of the person who offered up the sacrifice. By Paul saying, this is a living sacrifice, you're a living sacrifice, that is a one-time decision you've made that's going to have ongoing ramifications, and we'll look at that in verse 9 through 21. But it all hinges on the idea that you're going to be a sacrifice, you're going to make that sacrifice. That's the hardest part. The word sacrifice elicits two associated images. One is the literal image in their minds, which was the killing of an animal. In our minds, it's more the figurative image that is going to cost you something. That's why we use the term sacrifice. And in a cultic system, it was an actual physical animal that, ref- that, that did cost you something because that was part of your resources. And so we now no longer think about the actual act itself, but we do understand the expression, a sacrifice is going to cost you something. The idea here is that your spiritual act of worship being a sacrifice is going to cost you. Friends, we, we, we have to draw the implications from this. And the reality is that serving will not be convenient, friends. You will not find the time. You will not be able to fit it into your life. To serve well, you have to make the time. But how do you do that? I mean, you and I literally cannot make time. We literally cannot create more time than there is in a 24-hour day. And if I can't find the time, I guess I can't serve. Wrong. I want to talk about something that we're all very familiar with in the last 15, 20 years, the time management buzzword that's gone all through our culture. Did you know the Bible says nothing about managing your time? And I know a lot of that people will look to the Scriptures, but the Bible says nothing about managing your time. You know what the Bible talks about? Redeeming your time. Ephesians 5, 16, the New King James translation says it best, redeem the time because the days are evil. You see, the big difference in in trying to manage your time and redeeming your time, managing your time is you're just trying to be more efficient. Redeeming your time, you're trying to be more effective. The key isn't trying to do more, the key is to do what matters. The concept behind the Greek word that Paul uses here about uh, being a sacrifice and to redeem our time in Ephesians 5 in particular is to buy back. If you are going to serve well, you have to buy back time from the things that do not matter so that you can give them to the things that do. Let me give you a shocking statistic that I discovered this year. According to the 2015 Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average American leisure time today is four hours and 59 minutes. This is a statistic that our government ran that the average American today has nearly five hours every day of leisure time. Get this. Two hours and 47 minutes of that is just on screen time alone. And look at this study. I mean, boy, haven't we seen this picture? We spend more time on Netflix than we do bonding with our kids. 
Friends, if we just use that screen time number, on average, the typical American has at least 17 hours of time a week. Oh, my goodness. Free up some of that time so you can serve others and serve with others with that time. Friends, here's an, here's an important spiritual diagnostic question I want you to ask yourself. If you stopped attending Christ Community Church, other than the person that sits next to you on Sunday, how long would it take for your absence to be felt? A week? A month? A year? That's an important question to ask. So let me speak frankly to the members of our congregation here. We talked about in our membership class that the metaphors that the New Testament uses for a local church, the three primary metaphors, is of a temple, is of a body, and is of a family, right? And, and all those metaphors are so important that, that we are a family of believers. Friends, are you serving and living in such a way that your presence or absence makes a difference in this family? If a member of my family, one of my kids, stopped being with us, I would feel it like in a day. I'd feel it in an hour. For one, I would get the TV for a change, right? I mean, that's a big one. The, the house would be cleaner, right? The snacks that I buy for myself would still be in the pantry, right? So I would feel the impact of them not being in the family. Would we feel the impact if you weren't a part of this family, and how long would that take? That's a very important diagnostic question to ask yourselves because so much of the church has been marketed for how we meet your needs and we're not asking ourselves how do we meet each other's needs because the church isn't an institution, is not an entity, it's the people sitting in the pews next to you. Boy, are we living lives of sacrificial service. That's, that's Paul's uh, point in verses one and two. But our text also implies that this service is going to be fulfilling to us, why? Because according to verses 3 to 8, we were gifted by God for this service. In this second section, the point I want to draw our attention to is the metaphor that Paul frequently uses of the church as a body, right? And this is one of the favorite metaphors of Paul because it beautifully shows, as I was just talking about, of the, the interrelated relationships that are, that are firmly attached we're not a loose affiliation. We're like connected such that for you to break off, it would be painful, right? But it also captures this beautiful unity in diversity reality that makes the church such a countercultural community. We don't all have to be alike, right? Praise God, right? Praise God. We don't all have to be the same way. If you were all like me, we would be an exhausted group of people. We would be like kind of neurotic, we can be very different. In fact, that's God's plan that we all be very different from one another. We can be wildly different, yet still complement each other beautifully. I got to see that yesterday when we spent time with elders and how different we were in personality. And I just sat there and thought, praise God that the person across the table from me is so different from me that his difference allows me to actually be who I am because I know his love for me and this church can counterbalance my kind of passions, my vision, my direction with his, and I do the same for him. As a matter of fact, let's look at the text. Look at chapter, uh, look at verse 4 in Romans 12. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Friends, the, the, the elegance of a hand contrasted to the kind of the coarseness or the roughness of an elbow joint. The beauty and complexity of the eye in contrast to the, the simple practicality of a nose. So different, but everyone so essential. And in the same way, we all have gifts that are different, but essential for the body of Christ. And then you see in verses, uh, uh, after verse 6 to 7 and 8, Paul lists a total of, of seven different verses and the point, or seven different gifts or services. The point isn't to list a comprehensive listing of all the gifts that are necessary in the church. The point, rather, is to say there are all kinds of ways for all kinds of people to use their gifts to serve one another. And, and just look at this uh, thing you have in your bulletin. You look through it, and there are over 170 opportunities to serve in 47 different categories. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, the only thing we're missing is, is like a ministry of monkey juggling or something like that. We don't even have, I mean, we have everything else but that. There's no way there's not a place for you to plug in. And friends, however God has gifted you, there will be a way and a place that you can use that gift for the good of others here at Christ Community Church. And every service matters, particularly what maybe the ones we don't think a lot about. During World War II, um, England had to increase dramatically its production of coal. Winston Churchill, the prime minister at the time, called the labor leaders together to enlist their support. And at the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds the parade that he knew would happen shortly at Piccadilly Circus. First, he said, would come the sailors marching down who kept the vital sea lanes open. Next, behind them would come the soldiers who had just returned from Dunkirk and then headed off to Africa to defeat Rommel. Then would be the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe out of the skies. And last of all would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. And somebody from the crowd would cry out, and where were you during the crucial days of our struggle? And Churchill said, and from 10,000 throats would come the answer, we were deep in the earth, our faces to the coal. Friends, not all the service opportunities we have at this church are going to be publicly known or very well appreciated. But it's often the people with their faces to the coal that allows the church to get its mission and ministries done. Look at those black pens in front of you and the, the pew backs there. Staff doesn't come down during the week and making sure those pens are refilled. Those, those get, make your visit counts things are stocked and ready to go. When you go pick up your kids and they're, they're smushing their faces and hands on the glass, it's volunteers who come in and wipe that down. It's volunteers who put those pens in there. It's volunteers who straighten things out. When you walk into our family life center and you see the beautiful wainscoting of the woodwork, that's not staff swinging that hammer. You don't want me trying to build you anything. That's a volunteer coming in who has this beautiful gift to work with wood. When we go home after Sunday, we're going to go out and get some lunch and have some great fellowship. It's, it's not staff that comes back and locks up the facility, makes things okay. Some one or two of you will come back by yourselves, make sure the, the, the church is locked up and ready to go. 
Friends, maybe God has not gifted you to go overseas as a missionary. Maybe God hasn't gifted you to go to seminary or to lead our stewardship committee. Maybe God hasn't gifted you to lead a community group or be a high school volunteer, but he has gifted you for some purpose and need. Find it. Fill it. Finally, our last point. We see that Paul's appeal for our service, this is just what Christians do because of the mercies of God. That's very important. Our motivation is not because we have tasks to fill. We need warm bodies. That's not the motivation. The motivation has to be the mercies of God and what he has done for us in Christ. The confidence we can have is God has gifted us to do this thing. And finally, the rest of the chapter, uh, verses 9, really through 21, is the perspective now we should have towards our service. And you see, for the next 13 verses, it's like a lightning round, rapid fire. Paul just giving these great descriptions of the actions that Christians ought to take. Over 30 of them, over 30 verbs, present tense, right? Most of them, and an active voice. So, active voice, we do the action, present tense. This is an ongoing action. This is what we are about, over 30 of those verbs. Friends, in other words, our acceptable form of worship as being a sacrifice is full of intention, it's full of direction, and it's full of meaning. We're not passively just letting these things happen. That's why the phrase we like so much, find a need, fill a need. And and let me say this, if it goes out there and every table you go to, I hope this would happen, they say, ah, sorry, we don't got room for you. We got all our needs met. Don't then conclude, whew, dodge that bullet. Okay, I'm good. That's just the tip of the iceberg. As a matter of fact, can I say this? That isn't even really the needs of ministry in this church. I could throw a rock into this sanctuary and hit somebody who needs your ministry. Just get together with them and read the book of Romans. Take them to the gospel of Mark. Pray for them. Help them to see God's word can bring them comfort, help, and hope. That's, that's, that's the need that all that stuff makes possible. What I'm saying is don't confuse in your mind that a need is fulfilling a task. It, it is, it's not less than that, but it's way more than that. So if you go out there and all those tasks are taken, I want you to say, praise the Lord, then who else needs my ministry in this church? And how do I find that need? And how do I fill that need? Friends, are you living and serving that way? If not, that can change today. Start there. Just, just start. There's so many ways to get involved. Start there. If you are living that way, help others to do the same. And may God grant us grace as we respond to his mercies to live lives of sacrificial service to one another. We're going to end our service very early today, and the reason we're doing that is not so give you more time for donuts and coffee or to go home early. It's to prayerfully consider how you can live sacrificially for the good of the people and God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you that your word is so much to communicate to your people, that you have not left us without direction or guidance or meaning or intention. Lord, we pray that we would be a church that serves sacrificially. Father, those areas of our lives where maybe we're just, we need to buy back time, would you make that clear to us? Father, I know that, that the statistic from the um, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics really doesn't take into account a lot of the people sitting in this room. 
And so, Father, why I pray is there isn't a guilt of burden to do more, but wisdom and discernment to be more effective. And so, Lord, help us to do that well. Help us to be a community that loves and shows that love in real tangible ways. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.